So Mark was just saying about how he <clears throat> runs into people at, at work and doesn't recognize them and, and how, how stupid he is for that. And, and while we all agree, um, <laughs> I was, I, I, a few weeks ago was at T-Mobile. I, I had to, to, to do some stuff. Christmas presents and the like, and there was a guy that was there with me, and uh, we were both waiting in that, that line, you know, that doesn't seem to be a line, and he starts telling me about the issue, some issues that he's having, and, and I said, well, you know, let's pray together, and I, pr- I prayed with him, and I, I, as we're talking, I, I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll turn this conversation to, to the gospel, and, and, and kind of, I said, so where, where do you go to church now? And he looks at me and says, well, Pastor Tom, I... <laughs> I go to North Linco. So if you're here, I'm sorry. Um, we counted up that any given month, we normally have about 1,200 different people that come through the building. And it's just really hard, especially for those that aren't the brightest bulbs in the bulb box. Uh, who, um, and I wasn't pointing a mark at that, by the way. I, I said, for those of us that aren't real bright... Um, <laughs> but um, it, it's hard to, to keep up with people, which leads to the question, why do we do this? Why, why do we come together as this group? I mean, this is a, a kind of a weird thing that we do. I mean, what is it that's different about uh, us coming together as a church? It's different than, than the Kiwanis or you know, the Masonic Lodge or, or the, the Elks Lodge. Or What's different about what we do as opposed to just, just a club? Why are we different than a religious club? Well, amen. And if you'll be patient with me, I'll, 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 I'll deal with that. Um, so he, here we come to uh, this text that this is the uh, fourth anniversary. It was four years ago today that I preached for the first time at North Glencoe. And um, I have every... Uh, sermon at, right after Christmas preached on this same text. And I do this on purpose. Uh, one is because there are people who come and go, and the other is we need to take some time on a regular basis to just stop and say, why do we do this? Because it is so easy to get focused on the organization, on just doing the things that we do. I tell the staff all the time, it's so easy to just move from event to event to event to event that you just forget why we're doing this. I mean, you, 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 you finish up with Christmas, and I guarantee you that if I were to go to Elena's desk right now, there's going to be Easter musical stuff that we've been mailed. I, just like I can guarantee you that if I walked into Walmart right now, there's Valentine's candy out. It's just, you, you finish up with Christmas, and bam, let's move on to the next thing. And we'll finish up Easter, and then the next staff meeting will be, all right, Garrett, so what are we doing for the fall festival? It just, that's just the reality that you move from thing to thing to thing to thing, and that's just the way that life is, and it's easy to get so caught up in taking care of business every time you go that you forget why we're doing this. And so I want us to, to, to kind of have as a part of us as a church, as our cycle, is that the first of every year, we stop and ask the question, why, why, why are we here? And remind ourselves of why we're here. And this year, I want to take some time, because I've had people who ask me, why do we, why do, we do CR? That just doesn't seem to fit. Or, or what, what exactly is going on with Backpack Blessing? I've had people suggest to me, why don't really inquire kind of something that kind of died out in the 80s? Why are we still doing choir? And so we want to ask ourselves the question, why do we do the things that we do? 
I actually had someone uh, about a month ago, and I think he's in the room, so I'm not, not going to say his name, and, I, but I'm not, and I'm not trying to be offensive, but he asked me. He said, it seems like we're kind of doing a bunch of stuff. Maybe we as a church should kind of come up with like a, 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 an overarching thing that's our goal. And I thought, well, goodness, I have absolutely failed communicating because there is a thing. There's a thing, and we're going to talk about the thing and what our goals are and how we do it. And then the last... Uh, um, sermon in this series, I actually want us to sit down and talk about kind of one of the things that I do as your pastor is every year, uh, starting starting about mid-December up until mid-January, I will write out and think about what's our one-year goals, what's our three-year uh, vision, and then what's our 10-year plan. And I'll break those out and I'll write those down and we as a staff will talk about it. I want to share some of that stuff with you about what kind of what the thinking is that's going on, why, why we as a staff are kind of moving in one direction or the other, and the way that we work that out. I don't think that, 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 that any of that should be you know, something that you don't readily know. So you want to be here the next three weeks. I'm never going to say that Sunday's one you could skip, but this is the three weeks that if you, if you really want to kind of know what North Glencoe from, from a leadership perspective, the way we're going, the direction we're going, you don't want to miss. So we're going to start out and, and talk about our theology of church. Now, the text that, that Charlie Grace read is the first time that the term church is used in the Bible. And so I think Jesus is the one who said it. He didn't choose to just say it for the first time out of nowhere. And so I think it's important that we look at this text and say, what exactly is being taught here? What exactly is Jesus trying to tell us? So the text is Charlie Grace Red starts out. It says, when Jesus had come to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they, they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So Jesus is sitting there, they've been, been going and doing stuff, and he's just, it's like one day he's sitting around talking to them and goes, hey, who do people say that I am? And they, they gave him this litany of answers. And then Jesus turns the question inwardly and says, Who do, do you say that I am? Who am I to you? And I think the first thing about church that we have to realize is, is that for membership into the church, now I don't mean membership, you fill out the little card. I'm talking about today when I'm referring to the church, I'm referring to the church universal. The church that's made up of all the believers. See, we have the universal church, the Catholic church, if you will, and then we have, we have the local body that's us right here. And to be a member of that universal church, what it requires is you dealing with that question. Who do you say that I am? You see, there are no grandchildren in the family of God. You're either a son or daughter of God or you're not in the family. Everybody has to come before the Holy God on their own and ask themselves that question. Who is Jesus to me? If you look around this room, we've got people from all over the spectrum. We've got old people. We've got young people. We've got uh, rich people who, you know, if they were sitting here right now and said, you know what, I think I want me an iPhone X. They could get on Amazon and buy them an iPhone X. There are some people in this room who right now are worried about how are you going to pay the bills for all the money you spent for Christmas. 
There are people who are concerned right now with how they're going to get the money together after spending money on Christmas to eat the next month. And there are people here who that's not even something that comes through their head. If they want something, they go buy it. There are people in this room who uh, have jobs and, and careers that, that's in medicine. We have uh, policemen, we have firemen, we have teachers, we have people who are in the IT industry, we have people that work at Goodyear. In fact, one of the things that I found really weird when I first came here is that we have essentially two different churches. Because of the Goodyear schedule, you have one group of people that come every other week. And it's not because they're like most Baptists and just lay out every now and then, but their job makes them miss every other week. Our nurses, uh, the people who are first responders, follow that same Goodyear schedule. And so we actually have it like an A group and a B group. And, and it, it's, that's, you got to get used to that. you got to plan for that in your sermons. We, we have people from all over the, the spectrum, and we don't have a whole lot in common. There are, are people here that if you and I were to just, if I was working in the secular world, you probably wouldn't like me. There's probably some people in here who don't like me anyway. I like all y'all. I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> the thing that brings us together isn't our likes and dislikes. One of the things that I love about the way our music works is there's music that some of you like that song that, that, that draws up in you the, the very spirit of God and it allows you to worship. And then we'll sing a song that you're like, why are we even singing this stuff? But if you'll look, there's somebody over here who that's drawn their spirit up. And the reason why we have such a diverse style of music that goes back and forth across the board is because there are different people in here. And we're trying to get everybody to worship. The thing that we have in common is the answer that we've given to the question of who do you say that I am? Because if you haven't answered that question the same way that Peter has for your own life, then you're not a member of the universal church. See, the problem with a lot of local churches is is they're full of lost people. I think it was Billy Graham said, the hardest mission field on the earth today is the pew of a Baptist church. There are people who think that because they've grown up in the church, because they're good folk, they take care of their family, they don't, they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't chew, they don't run around with people who do, they got a check in all the box, they think that's going to take them to heaven. And it's not. The way that we go to heaven is by calling on the name of the Lord and making Him the Lord of our lives. And that we stand before God and we say, I can't earn my way. I need what you did on the cross. And so we have this weird situation in the local church where you just have a gathering of people and some of them are believers and some of them aren't. I'm going to really shock you. Did you know that some people who aren't believers get into leadership in churches? And lost people act like lost people. They do lost people stuff. There are some people who actually get into pastoring who aren't believers. It's just their career. You see, that's the whole point of the very fact that we all stand before God on our own. And the question there isn't, what did you do for me? We see when Jesus separated the sheep from the goats, the goats all wanted to tell Jesus what they had done. Why, I've cast out demons in your name. I've done mighty miracles in your name. And Jesus said, yeah, I don't know who you are. 
So the question that Jesus asked Peter is of the utmost importance. Who do you say that I am? And Peter responds. And we want to really break this down. He responds that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, we have churchified that word Christ to the point that that I think that a lot of us forget what it means. I, I will be honest, when I was a kid growing up, I thought that was Jesus' last name. I mean, I'm Tommy Harrison, he was Jesus Christ, son of Joseph and Mary Christ. The Christ, they live down, he's the carpenter guy, he lives down the road. So what, what does that word Christ mean? It means something. And, and when we lived in Turkey to a Muslim, they will often, if we're talking about Jesus, they would refer to Jesus as Isa, uh, Isa uh, Pagan Bear, which means Jesus the prophet, Jesus the teacher. But the Christians, we would refer to Jesus as Isa Messi, which in Arabic is Jesus the Messiah. And that word Christ is literally the translation in Greek to the Hebrew word, Messiah. Christos is just transliterated to the English. And it means the anointed one. The Messiah, the sent one from God. So the first thing that Peter acknowledged in Jesus was that you are singular. There's none like you. You are sent from God. There, Jesus isn't just another teacher. He didn't say some good stuff. He's one of one. He was the only one who ever lived who could be called the Messiah. He wasn't a Messiah. He was the Messiah. And so he was sent out by God for a specific purpose. One of those specific purposes, one of those tasks was to be a redeemer. In Luke 19.10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man is come to seek and save that which is lost. Paul said in Romans 5, Therefore, as by one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Jesus was sent for a specific purpose. And that specific purpose that we're referring to here was that he came to be the substitutionary atonement for your and I's sin. He became sin for us. He alone fulfills that role. He's a singular. He's alone. He's the Christ. He's the son of the living God. Now, we got to be careful with that word son because when we think of son, oftentimes we'll use that term as, um, you know, a little bit less. But in Jewish culture, where this was, was spoken, that wasn't the case. Let me read a quote. Who, he summed it up way better than I can from John MacArthur. In Jewish culture, a dignitary's adult son was deemed equal in stature and privilege with his father. The same deference demanded by a king was afforded to his adult son. The son was, after all, of the very same essence as his father, heir to all the father's rights and privileges, and therefore equal in every significant regard. 
So when Jesus was called Son of God, it was understood categorically by all as a title of deity, making him equal with God, and more significantly, of the same essence as the Father. This is precisely why the Jewish leaders regarded the title Son of God as high blasphemy. And we read that in John 5.18, where it says that this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was calling God his Father, making himself equal with God. So when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, he was saying that Jesus is on par and equal with God. He was saying that he's the second part of the Trinity, that he's of the same essence with God, that he is God in human flesh. He's not like God. He's not a type of God. He is God. John 1, 1, he was with the, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There is no difference in essence between the Son and the Father and the Spirit, and Jesus was here. He was physically our Messiah, and then he was in the Son of God. And so Peter confessed that. When Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, yes, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. My Father revealed that to you. And so it's that confession that started off the rest of this conversation. Now, Jesus said to Peter... And there's a little bit of wordplay here that we got to deal with. He said, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, Peter, and I'm sorry this has turned into a little bit of a Greek lesson. Peter in Greek means pebble. It's a little uh, diminutive, it's, and it's, it's saying P- Peter is a l- small rock. So Jesus says, you, Peter, little rock, you are Peter. But upon this rock, this big rock, this mountainous rock, which was the confession that he just made, I will build my church. So we as a church, if we're saying, what do we have to do? What do we need to do to build the church? We need to look at that confession and make that confession woven into everything that we do. God put it this way in his word. If the Son of Man is lifted up, He will draw all men to Himself. The way to grow the church is that we point to Jesus. Upon this rock I will build my church. Notice, who's doing the building? I will build my church. Notice who has ownership. He doesn't say, I will build your church. He doesn't say, I will build the church that you go to. He says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Jesus is the builder. Jesus is the owner. It's all about Him. So we as a church need to focus and work on making sure that everything we do points to Jesus. 
And that's exactly why we can sit here today and there are people here who I have nothing in common with. They're not the same age as me. They don't have the same vocation as me. They don't drive the same kind of car as me. They're weirdos and they wear open-toed shoes and I can still love them because what we have in common is Jesus. We don't have our likes in common. You like iPhones, I like Androids. We don't have... You know, you like to hunt, I like to fail. All of that stuff doesn't matter. What matters is, is that we were lost and undone and dying and headed to hell. And Jesus made a way for both of us. That's what matters. And if we as a church stay focused on that, if we as a church stay focused on pointing men to Jesus, if we as a church stay focused on that, most of the other issues will take care of themselves. It's when we get focused on me down there at my church that things fall apart because I want my way. I don't want that stupid looking stage sitting out there in front of everything. I don't want that carpet to look that way. I don't, I don't want the coffee there. I want the coffee over there. I, 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 I. And I'm here to tell you, it ain't about you. And it ain't about me. It ain't my church either. I almost always, unless it would just make me a total smart aleck to do it, if somebody says, how's things going at your church? I will correct them. It ain't my church. Because if I had a church, it wouldn't be very good. I don't want to go to Tom Harrison Church. I want to go to Jesus Church. And so it's his church. It's his ownership. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it is a perfect way for Jesus to sum that. Now that term, gates of hell, is a term for, that's used in other literature for death. The gates of hell will not prevail against it means that it doesn't matter who in this room dies, the church is going to go on. If somebody were to walk into this building right now with a suicide vest on and pull the cord and all of us died. Jesus' church is going to march on. It ain't about us. You see, our perspective isn't about us. It's about what we can do to come along beside the God that created the universe as He's doing something in this world. And His church is how He does it. So, last year when I preached on this text, this is where we stopped. We talked about the gates of hell not prevailing against it. And I talked about how that provides us freedom to obey him. You see, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that all humanity is a slave to the fear of death. And we know that. We, I, I've talked about that the whole time that I've been here. That we as humans fill our lives with hundreds of distractions because we don't want to think about death. Nobody in here feels real comfortable in a nursing home. Because you're looking at somebody and you're thinking in your heart or you're thinking it in your mind, someday I'm going to be there. I remember Tommy Carden's funeral. One of the most powerful funerals I've ever been at. Where he videoed his funeral. He videoed himself in the hospital bed. And he said, everybody in this room I've been where you sit. I've sat in the funeral, been bored, 
ready for this to get over with. The dude's dead. Why do we have to be here? I've been where all of you sit, Tommy Carden said. And everybody in this room someday is going to be where I am right now, in that box. He said, make sure in between now and then that you prepare yourself. That was very powerful, very powerful. We as Christians don't have death to be afraid of. See, after our last breath, our next step is written down. We know what our next steps are going to be. We know what's going to happen. We know where we're going to spend eternity. So we are free, and we are free to serve Him. In Romans 8, it says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So if I die tomorrow, I know that God's love cannot be separated from me. I am free from the fear of death. So last year, I finished up at this point. I watched, watched the sermon this week. We had the invitation. Bam, we, we went out went to Cracker Barrel. And as I watched it from last year, I thought to myself, wait, wait. It's all ethereal. It's not, there's no practical here. So what do we do? See, we can... We could say that we're all about Jesus, we're all pointing to Jesus, we're making much of Jesus, we can print it on a t-shirt, we can put it on a sign, but does that mean that we're actually doing that? I mean, it's easy for me to run my mouth about a lot of stuff, it's really hard to live it out. So how do we make much of Jesus? How do we make everything that we do be about Him? Well, Jesus, realizing that we're not the brightest bulbs in the bulb box, as we talked about, and I'm pointing at Mark again. Um, he left this earth, closing out, and told us how to do that. In Matthew chapter 28, he said, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed him. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right, so this text is working out what Jesus was talking about in this, in Matthew 18. What Jesus says... On this rock I will build my church. And then as he, just before he ascends, he tells the church, this is what I want you to do while I'm gone. And he said, go make disciples. That's our task. That's what we're about. That's what we're supposed to do. What I as a pastor am supposed to push us toward doing is making disciples. Now, the first step of making, Jesus tells us even how to make disciples. He, he really does. He just, he, he just assumes that we're not, can't figure anything out. I'm glad he did. He says, go and make disciples. And then he tells us exactly how to do that. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you've got to lead them to Jesus and then baptize them. That's the first step. Which is what we got to, what, what we were talking about when I said, who does Jesus say that I am? You've got to be saved before any of this makes any sense. So the first step is to... 
Somebody's got to get saved. Now notice, for what Jesus says, that's not the end. So often in the church, that's where we stop. You know, somebody's lost. We pray for him. Oh, Lord, please save Joe. He's, he's a drunk. He's, he's a horrible person. And then God saves him. And we go, yeah! Joe, why don't you go get in Sunday school? But that's not the end. That's the beginning. We're not told to make converts. We're told to make disciples. So the first step is definitely leading them to Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The second step is teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So we lead them to Christ, and then we've got to teach them. We've got to teach them how to walk this thing out, how to do the things that Jesus said to do. Because you know what? Just like I don't You know, I've had five kids, and not one did I come home with that baby and set him in the yard and say, all right, we've done the hard stuff. You got it. No, when that baby's born, you've got to nurture it. You've got to work with it. You've got to... Their babies are stupid when they're born. They don't know how to do nothing. Their head and necks don't work. They just wobble everywhere, right? Am I I lying? They just... And they'll throw up on you in a heartbeat. It's like you're picking them up. Oh, what a pretty baby. Blah. And then you're like, oh, for the love. I got to go to work, you stupid baby. <laughs> no, you've got to teach them. When they're little toddlers, you still have to teach them. I've got some teenagers, and they're just stupid. <laughs> In fact, I think they get, hit a point where they just get dumber. I can't tell my 13-year-old daughter, all right, look, I've raised you to this point. It's been 13 years. Hit it. Go get a job. No, she still has to be taught. She still has to be nurtured. It takes time. They, I don't know about your kids. My kids sometimes make mistakes. You know that your brothers and sisters around you, they're, they're at a particular point in their walk with Christ. They're going to make mistakes. I thought you were a Christian. I can't believe you acted like that. I'm going to go find me another church. We don't do that with our kids. I can't believe you. How many times have I told you guys, don't do this thing? You know what? I'm done. I'm going to go find me another family. Forget (laughs) y'all. I'm just sick and tired of dealing with this family. You don't listen to the music I like. You don't do the stuff that I like. And every time I turn around, you're wearing something even dumber than the last time. I'm out. I'm going to go find me a better family. No, we would never think to do that. But that's exactly what we do in church, isn't it? But what we're supposed to be doing is make it working with each other and making disciples. Now, some of you are looking at me right now saying, well, that's your job. That's why we pay you. My job is to sit out here in the crowd and be fed. Well, I'm going to end this sermon by reading a text that we're going to look at in depth next week. So, Mark, you don't have to call me. This is the text we got next week. Ephesians chapter 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. Now notice it doesn't say that God gave all these people or who were in these roles to do the work of the ministry. Now as a Christian, I'm supposed to do the work of the ministry. As a believer, I've got to do all the same stuff that all the other Christians do. But my job as the shepherd is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. I mean, I, I, there have been, and if, I, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but this has, happened, this has happened within the last six weeks. Somebody goes to the hospital. 
They put it on Facebook, which oftentimes, and I'm just telling you, if you put it on Facebook, it's up to Zuckerberg whether or not I find out about it. Because I don't know if it's going to come up in my feed or not. So you can't be mad at me if nobody from the church comes because Zuckerberg didn't let me know. But, so the person's in the hospital, and a deacon goes and visits them. Maybe Joe and a couple of those guys go and visit them. And then they'll say, why nobody from the church came to see me? Because I didn't go. I've had that happen a hundred times. Because people think that my job is to do the ministry. And so I'm, I'm here to tell you, that's not my job. My job is to equip all of you to do the work of the ministry. Because here's the reality. Any of you in here who have gone... Let's continue with a hospital visit or a nursing home. This this has happened to me a thousand times. This happened to me just last week. I have to go visit. uh, I went to visit a lady who was a a shut-in. And we, we as the the deacons, all visited our our shut-ins this week to lead up to Christmas. And so I I drew some, me and Jeff, got in the car, and we went to go see this lady. And I I knew she had been sick for a couple years. I knew that she... uh, has been shut in in her home for, for at least a year and a half. And so I'm like, oh, I guess I'm going to go bless her. I'm going to go love on her for a little bit. Mar- Jeff and I get in the truck, and we drive over there, and we walk into her room, and she's sitting in this room, and we sit down with her, and I left there walking on clouds. I didn't bless her. She blessed me. The opportunity to go and serve that little lady did more for me. I was ready to go serve God. Woo! Let's go do some more. Because as we as Christians, God has made us and equipped us that as we serve, as we work, that's a big part of what makes us grow. If you just sit there and say, well, he ain't feeding me. That's not my fault. You got to be out doing stuff. You got to be out serving your king. You got to be loving on people. You got to be praying for people. And what you learn, the great paradox of Christianity, is it's not take, take, take that makes us grow, it's give, give, give that makes us grow. And so God built a system where my job as your pastor is to equip you, to help you, so that you get out there and get in the fight, so that you can grow and be more like Jesus. And so our job as the staff here, the job of the deacons and the elders of this church are to work to equip you to remove any obstacles from your way so that you can serve. And you can pick any ministry and see how that works. It's like when we did the, 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 uh, the choir dinner. I got really tickled because it was two nights in a row. One night was... I, Karen, I don't know how we ended up planning it on top of the SEC championship game. We knew that the SEC championship game was going to happen. And, you know, everybody's sneaking off and watching that. And, 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 and we're, everybody was tired and they were exhausted and they'd been practicing all week, like every night. And they're singing. And then I'm watching them on the next Sunday going, man, that was fun. That was awesome. And it was the Christians being around each other and them doing something to serve other people that just built them up. And then, whoa, we're ready to go. As Christians, when we serve our king, it doesn't exhaust us. It builds us up. And so you don't want me stealing your fun. You don't want me up here doing everything. You certainly don't want me singing. 
And anybody that sat around me, or the other day I came, went down during the invitation, and I realized my mic was still on. I'm like, I'm just destroyed the church. Everybody's going to leave. Going, what in the world is that sound? Um, my job and the job of the leadership in this church is to equip you to do the work of ministry. So there's a lot of information that's been given to you, and I just want to summarize it really quick. So Jesus saying to Peter, with your confession, you, Peter, and on that rock I'll build my church. It's Jesus' church. It's his ownership. And that the first and foremost thing that we have to recognize is that everything that we do is about Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's not about North Lincoln. It's not about our community. It's, not, it's about Jesus. It's all about him. And we learned that the primary task of the church, now we've seen what, the, what defines the church, what drives the church, the primary task of the church is to make disciples. To be about making disciples. And you making a disciple out of me. Nobody ever on this side of the Jordan gets to put a check in the box and go, all right, I got it all figured out. I'm a disciple now. Every one of us, I don't care where you are in your spiritual life, we need each other. And we've got to be about making disciples. And the final thing is, is you have got to be about that work. You have got to be invested in other people if you want to grow in Christ. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your church. Lord, we thank you for the system that you put in place. The wisdom. The beauty of making the church your bride. Lord, I do pray that if there's anybody in this room who doesn't know you, who isn't a believer, God, I pray that today they would call on your name and be saved. Lord, if there's anybody in this room who is a believer, but they have not been about their task, they haven't made Jesus the preeminent one in their life, they haven't been about making disciples, God, I pray that they would rush this altar, Lord, to confess his sin, their behavior. God, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this audience that's looking for a local church in which they can serve, Lord, I pray that this would be their church home. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.